Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. An eclectic program today. Let's get started. Milwaukee County has eight outdoor pools that are open right about now, beginning in mid-June through the bulk of the summer. They've got two indoor pools that are open year-round. They've got Bradford Beach. And at all those various pools, they staff them with lifeguards. In addition, they have various splash pools and wading pools scattered throughout the county as well. One of the pools, one of the outdoor pools, is called Holler Park. It's 5151 South 6th Street, so it's on the south side. Holler Park, very, very nice pool. It's got wheelchair access and all those things. It is not going to be opening this summer. Why is it not opening? Because Milwaukee County doesn't have enough lifeguards to staff all the various pools. And what they've decided to do is they've said, look, we think we, you know, we don't have enough lifeguards to cover all this. So rather than trying to spread ourselves too thin or cut back the hours that various pools are open, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're not opening the Holler Park pool. Now, as you might expect, this has neighbors that are very, very upset about it. The county says the reason we chose Holler Park for this is because we looked at a variety of factors, including use of a particular pool. Also, um, if we close Holler Park, you know, how close are other similar facilities for people that might use Holler Park? And they decided that, you know, factoring all that in, it made the most sense to close Holler Park. Well, okay, I don't want to talk about closing Holler Park. I mean, that's just the decision they made. What I want to discuss with you is why why is there such a lifeguard shortage? Now, here's the deal. In Milwaukee County, you have to be 16 years old to be a lifeguard, and you have to go through, a, 16 years old by July, you have to go through a, a training thing to get yourself certified. Starting pay for lifeguards is $10.57 an hour. Okay, so far this year, they only have 131 lifeguards recruited and certified for 2019. That is less than half the ideal number of 300 lifeguards. So that's what they want. They'd like to have had 300. They've only got 131. Last year, they were able to come up with about 176. So this year, they've got 45 fewer lifeguards than they had last year. And so they just, just doing the math, they said, okay, we've got to close one of the pools. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, $10.57 for a 16 or a 17-year-old to work as a lifeguard. Now, if, if you sign up to be a lifeguard, you're not necessarily going to be assigned to Holler Park. The way I understand it is you get to put in 
you, you get to rank like priorities. Okay, these are the top five pools that I would like to work at. They don't guarantee you that you're going to be at that pool or at Bradford Beach, but they try to give you preference. So they, they the county tries to work with you. You do have to get certified, so it's a little bit of an effort to do that. But it's $10.57 an hour to start. And you have to be 16, and they can't come close to getting enough lifeguards to, again, staff these pools. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to start out with a why question. Why is it that they can't get kids, in particular, to work at, at the pools as a lifeguard at the, for the summer jobs? Let's start with Dave in Caledonia. Dave, you're first. Good afternoon. Lifeguarding is a horrific job. You're sitting out in the hot sun all day for 10 bucks. You're yelling at kids to stop jumping on each other or smashing each other in the face or fighting or wrestling or whatever. Nobody listens to you. If it rains, you just get sent home and you don't get paid. You've got to do all this training, and mm-hmm. you have to take responsibility for people's lives. Mm-hmm. No teenagers want to do that for 10 bucks. Well, you think if they made it fifteen bucks that you'd get more sixteen year olds no, to do it? I'm talking about twenty five bucks an hour, oh. and then you have to start recruiting in September of this year for the following year. Well, I'm trying to think of jobs. I'm, I'm trying to think of jobs. There's really, when you're sixteen years old, the the number, the type of jobs that you're going to get are going to be limited, anyways. Maybe you'll be washing dishes in a restaurant. Maybe you'd be Bussing tables. I, mean, I guess you could be babysitting or stuff, but it's it, you know you're you're not going to have that many attractive job offers when you're 16. Is being a is being a lifeguard really and sitting out in the sun? Is that really at a pool? Is that really a lot worse than washing dishes or bussing tables? At a public swimming pool? Have you been to a public swimming pool? Uh, I have, not recently, in, but in Milwaukee, it is a lot different than you know some outskirt in Cedarburg, Grafton, Port Washington. Okay. It is very different okay. in Milwaukee, if you know what I mean. So you think the you think the, the solution, to the extent there is a solution, you need to actively recruit, and you think you probably need to double or triple the salary for the job. At least. Interesting. Well, thanks for calling. Well, I mean, that's kind of scary because there's no, if that if that's the case, there, there's there's no way that the county pools can operate because there's no way that, you know, you're unless you're going to have a massive increase in in fees or in taxes or whatever, you're not going to be able to pay twenty five dollars an hour. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Gru is lining up the calls. This is a real problem. And again, to me, the story isn't Holler Park Pool it not opening up. The story is the reason it's not opening up is the county can't come close to finding 16- or 17-year-old kids who would do what I, I think maybe back in the day used to be you know, a relatively attractive sort of job. Hey, you know, I mean, I understand there's responsibilities, but you're, you're, out, at the, you're out at a pool. You're, you're outside. You're soaking up rays during the course of the day. What's going on here? 414-799-1620. We continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Jackie in Greendale. Jackie, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Jackie. I am well, thank you. My note says that you are or were a Milwaukee County lifeguard. Oh, yeah. It was the best job I ever had. Okay. Um, My whole thing is I'm around a lot of teenagers, 
um, and I coached high school swimming. Well, I did. I don't anymore. But the majority of those kids don't want to work in those pools anymore. And they and I'm out in the suburbs. They rather work at like Tuckaway, um, Princeton Club, um, the WAC, um, different areas other than going in and working at those pools. And they're making more money. Okay, so what's what's the solution? I mean, I guess I look at these numbers, and it looks to me like there's kind of a dramatic problem. If, if you need 300 lifeguards, and you've only got 131, and that's down 45 from last year, where you were way short, I mean, what what can what can the county do? Is there anything they can do? I think it's more the inner the schools and the swim teams in the inner city. They're they're just dwindling. There's I think barely any left and if they do have them they're not very strong and those kids just don't want to it's a hard test to pass to be a Milwaukee County lifeguard right you got to take all the training and stuff I and I the thing I don't know is is whether they they had an extra 500 kids that took the training and failed I doubt it I I tend to doubt it but yeah I I don't think it's that much but um and they're, they're willing to work with you but back in the day it was hard and to pass the test and I grew up in Greendale, and I worked at Wilson Park, McCarty. My brother was at Kosciuszko in Washington Park, and my sister had to drive all the way out to Moody. Okay. So, I mean, it was a different time. This was back in the early 80s, um, you know, late 80s. So, but, it, I mean, but tell me what was so great about the job. You said it was one of the best jobs that you had as a kid growing up. What was, so, what was, what was the appeal of it back when you did it? Well, I think because you have to learn to work as a team and you go through all these emergency procedure trainings and on top of that, you, um, they have water polos, there's picnics. It's just, it was a really fun time and you got to meet a whole different group of kids from all over the city and there was lifeguard regatta, which they used to have at Bradford and then if you made it through that, you got to go to Chicago and then down to Florida for the finals. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a fun place to be. Um, I don't know that anymore none of my kids actually they're all swimmers two of them swam through college but they all worked at private pools right my sense would be that just boosting the starting pay a buck or two probably wouldn't make that much of a difference i think i think that would help too because all these other pools are paying more than okay Got it. Okay, thanks. No, I know. I got it. Thanks. 414-799-1620. I I don't know, though. I mean, it it seems to me that maybe you're getting some that are siphoned off for, like, the private clubs or or whatever. But I I think there's probably a more fundamental problem that's out there. Um, Deb in West Dallas sends me a text. Jeff, my daughter lifeguarded when she was 16 and 17. She loved it. Uh, And this is the point that uh, the, the last caller was just making. There was a real camaraderie with all the lifeguards. They would hang out together during non-working hours. They had a really good time. I know she worked at Jackson Park Pool most of the time. 414-799-1620. I mean, this, this is a huge issue. Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, my, my thoughts are that it's the uh, pay issue. If you're going to have these kids that are 16, 17 years old, that are going to be responsible for maybe doing CPR or pulling someone out of a pool, and you're giving them $10.50 an hour where they could be handing out fries at a McDonald's drive through for 12 bucks or right. $13. I, I think that I raised the pay to like, uh, you know, 16 or 18 bucks to get these kids in there, and that's, 
they're worth it because uh, they're doing the training and everything else, and it's a responsible job. Well, right, and it costs, from my understanding, it costs several hundred dollars to, to put each one of these kids through the training. I mean, these various courses and the tests you have to take, and, and, and you're right. I mean, I got a text, for example, that says, you know, kids can earn, you know, $20 an hour waiting tables at Perkins. Now, I don't know, I don't know how many 16-year-olds are doing that. My guess is at 16, you're more likely to be busting tables or washing dishes or something like that. But you think you think the pay needs to be more competitive, and that'll help. Absolutely. Well, okay. Thanks for the call. I, I look. I, I, I don't. I get that. I, I get it. At the same time, I think this is part of a larger problem, and that is that for whatever reason, I don't think you have kids that are under as much pressure as perhaps earlier generations were to go out and find jobs in in the summer you know and this time of year it seems like we all, we almost always talk about the, the various summer jobs because there's always this, this battle i have a number of friends who have have teenagers and there's always this battle between do you want the kids to work or is it well you know they work really hard during the school year and they've got band camp and they've got you know the the basketball camp and they've got you know the the extra training for science or whatever plus we want to have the kids be kids etc so i mean i think there's a lot of parents that are out there that aren't pressuring in any way shape or form that the kids to work and the idea is okay well it, it's summer whereas i mean candidly when i was growing up if you had a summer job you're 16 years old you had a summer job that's the greatest thing in the world because you're making dough that you can spend i don't think there's the pressure on people and you can argue whether it's good or bad but i don't think there's the pressure on people to go out and say okay you, you got to find a job oh you, you got to go through lifeguard training and then you've got to commit and they're only quote unquote only paying you ten dollars and fifty cents an hour well, I'd, I'd rather, you know, I'd, I'd rather be sleeping in and I'd rather be, how do I handle this if I want to go to this camp or that camp? I think that that's a factor, too. I just think that there's not enough, there's there's nowhere near as many kids that are out there that are actively looking for summer jobs as maybe there were 10 or 15 years ago. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jane in Mount Pleasant. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, my two boys were um, lifeguards growing up. I mean, that's, you know, kind of what, what they both did. And what I can see is that, first of all, this generation of teens doesn't want to work, period. Yeah. So there's not a real, um, you know, they, they just don't feel that they're, part, you know, ownership to any pool that they're going to be at. If what, what I was seeing was teens were put in control of the pool. They were supervising other teens. And there just wasn't a real, uh, you know, nobody wants to work for their friend. Nobody wants to be told what to do from their friend. Right. And there was, if they didn't want to come to work, they just don't come to work. And they're <laughs> not being, um, parents aren't really showing kids that, hey, you took a job. This is your responsibility. If you're scheduled to be at work, you got to go. It's like, if they don't want to come to work, they don't go. And then, Well, you know, Jane, I'll, I'll let you finish. But, you know, that, that point, I, I have... I have a number of friends who are, are business people, and they, they'll say that same thing that you just said to me, and, and it doesn't just apply to, to teenagers and stuff. They'll say one of the biggest problems is, you know, you, you, you have jobs. 
you hire people and you know you go through the whole hiring process and they don't show up after they've been hired or they show up for a couple days then they don't show up and you're right back to square one it is this ongoing problem i think if you talk to a lot of employers that's uh, that's their their number one complaint is people just don't show up absolutely and and i think another thing that that with this with a lifeguard workforce is it is very um and you got to be on your toes every yeah. minute. And my kids were at private pools and they were at public pools. And, I mean, you are babysitting for other people's kids is what you're doing. And, you know, you've, you've got to be if – you, if you're already there for a five-hour shift and then somebody doesn't come in, then my right. kids would be asked, well, can you stay a few more hours? And I, I'm not – don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is like being a, a bit like being a doctor on a long shift. But you okay. get tired – yeah. You it's, it's more than just being out in the sun and having a great time. You have to be watching that pool all the time because the parents aren't. The parents are there sunbathing. So and what's the answer? I mean, it, what, what, what is the answer? That, uh, there's a huge lifeguard shortage, at least in Milwaukee County. It's getting worse, not better, to the point that they're now not able to open pools. Is it purely a monetary thing? I mean, if, if you if you pay people 13 bucks an hour instead of 10.50, is that going to get a lot more? I tend to doubt it because I think there's a bigger problem than that. But what do you think? I, I really think it, um, it's, it's a lot like you were saying with a regular workforce. Most of us that are adults, we'd rather have more vacation than more money. Yeah. And I think when you're talking, well, not everybody. But <laughs> I think right. when you're, ta- I think when you're talking about these, I mean, ask the kids. I think if the human resource department could either do an exit survey or just survey those lifeguards and say, what's keeping you here? What do you want to see? Do you want to have more cookouts after hours? Do right. you know, do you want more events where where you do things that are fun? You know. Mm-hmm. In addition to work. Well, yeah. Um, I, the, I mean, the other thing. Yeah. yeah. No, thanks. I called you. I mean, the, the other thing, and, and I, I don't want to criticize Milwaukee County because I don't know that they don't do this, but it would seem to me that this is, and it ties into what one of our first, first callers was saying, if this is a long-term problem, and it appears to be a long-term problem, one of the starting points to me would be, I think you'd have to recruit. And I don't, I'm not saying that they don't do this, but I think you probably need to be aggressive about going to the high school swim clubs and the high school swim teams. And, you know, you get in there in the fall and you start, you know, actively recruiting, trying to line up kids that are willing to, to show up and, and be the lifeguards. And you try to create some sort of cachet about it. And let, hey, let, let's see if we can get, let's see if we can get five or six members of the ex high school, you know, swim team, the ex high, whatever the high school is. You know, of the boys' swim team or the girls' swim team or whatever to come on out and to agree to work at some of these pools. seems to me that you've got to be a lot more proactive about this because this is part of, of this larger problem. I guess more money, more money wouldn't hurt, but I'm not sure how much it would help because I don't think that there's as much value placed on, on summer jobs. And, and maybe it's true. Maybe this isn't as desirable a job. Maybe you'd rather say, do you want fries with that? Or you'd rather bust tables or you'd rather wash dishes than put up with the responsibility of being a lifeguard. But the county's got to figure something out. And I don't fault them for the decision to close this particular pool. If you don't have enough lifeguards, you don't have enough lifeguards. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, my nephew is going to be a sophomore in college. He still has never had a job. He has no idea what a work atmosphere is like. He's going to have a tough time getting and keeping a job after he graduates. Gru, did you work? Do you remember your first job? 
Yeah, I was a uh, I was a busboy for an Amer oh, no an Elks Lodge. A busboy at an Elks Lodge when you were like sixteen. Yeah, I was sixteen. You were sixteen. Okay. Uh, I, I assume it wasn't the most attractive job necessarily that you had. No, no. no. But okay. Well, see, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with it. My first job. I've told this story before. My first job was when I was sixteen as well. I worked in the toy and pet department at the. There used to be a tre- Treasure Island. Used to be kind of like a an offshoot of J.C. Penney's. J.C. Penney's was the big full service department store, and Treasure Island was the kind of Penney's discount store. It was kind of like a Target, you know. It wasn't, it, it wasn't, you know, just discards and stuff. It was sort of like like a Target would have been. And I, I worked at the uh, Treasure Island. It was on Green Bay Road, Highway Fifty Seven, and Brown Deer Road. It used to, I think, now it's an Office Max or something. But but I, I worked there, and I, I remember it was I, I had the job. I was 16, and I remember, you know, it, it was kind of cool. It, it, it was not an awful job. I mean, what I what I did is I yeah, I brought, you know, like they they deliver boxes and boxes of, of games and toys and stuff, and you go into the stock room in the back on the loading dock, and you'd you'd put them all on skids, and you'd go over and you'd 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 stack them. Okay, so it was it was not the worst job in the world, but the coolest thing to me about the job, and what I what I really learned from that job was the value of showing up. As I always say, matter of fact, I think it said it yesterday when I was talking to Eric, um, you know, I, I, I believe 80% of life is showing up. It, it just is. You, you show up, and then then you have a chance to convince people that you can excel. But if you don't show up, you never get in there. And it, it taught me the value of, of showing up. It also taught me the value of money because it's, it's one thing when mom and dad give you an allowance and, and that's cool but it's another thing when you know you you put in 20 or 25 hours a week or whatever and then you get that paycheck and first you see what taxes are on that but then but then you're looking at this and you're thinking okay i know how long and how hard i had to work to get this and it does i think make you think twice or three times about gee do i really want to buy that or do i really want to buy that i i thought that see that was the value to me of work besides just kind of bringing in the money and i'm not saying that bringing in the money is is bad at all the you know we were talking in the last segment of the program though about like the problem getting young people to you know work as lifeguards and all this is going to be a huge problem in the Milwaukee area over the next year there's a story in the journal sentinel that alludes to this you've got the democratic national convention that that is coming and one of the things that you know is from the perspective of the hospitality industry the restaurants the bars the hotels there you know when, when you have thousands and thousands of people that are descending on the city um you you know you need to you need to have the waiters you need to have the waitresses. You need to have the busboys. You need to have the dishwashers. You need to have the cooks. You need to have the the maids. You know the people or that are that are working in the hotels. And, and right now, the the even right now, before any of this convention build up or stuff, you know Milwaukee just doesn't have that. The Journal Sentinel story says that right now, the in the restaurant industry, they say there's over four thousand positions in the area that are advertised on one of the largest job sites. And again, this is, it's for, I, I, 
don't get me wrong. I think there's a value to work. So I, when I, I use the word menial, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be derisive or anything like that. But I mean, it's the jobs that, okay, do, do you want to work in a hot kitchen for like six hours washing dishes? Okay. A lot of people would say, no, I, I don't want to do that. Or do you want to be bussing tables or things like that? And people would say, no, I, I don't really want to do that. They're having trouble finding people to do that. In the story in the journal Sentinel, one of these restaurant owners says, hey, you know, I am now I say I can't find dishwashers, and I'm now paying people, you know, eleven dollars an hour to to be a dishwasher, and I'm hoping that they come back. He said a couple of years ago, that's what I paid my line cooks. Yeah, I paid the line cooks eleven bucks an hour. So you, you're having to spend more money, and yet even with that, they're, they're still not finding people that are willing to do these jobs, and that is going to be a challenge, especially as downtown Milwaukee ramps up, as the service industry ramps up, ramps up, as you get more bars and, and restaurants. And I will tell you, I know a number of people who work in the hospitality industry, and that's they'll tell you that that's one of their biggest problems, which is finding and then keeping, you know, good people. And, and it's you, you, even if you pay market or above market wages for whatever reasons, you know, people just don't want to come back and they don't want to work hard and they don't want to do those things and they don't like the irregular hours. But it's an ongoing challenge and it's going to continue to be a challenge. And I think it's going to get worse as, again, we ramp up for the Democratic National Convention. OK, let us completely and totally switch gears. For decades, we have been involved in a war on drugs where we've decided that, all right, the way to deal with the drug problem is to prosecute the people that are selling drugs to an extent to prosecute some of the people who are using drugs. Seattle has decided to go the exact opposite direction. Seattle has decided that as a policy matter, they will no longer issue any criminal charges for personal drug possession. Now, let me explain what this means. We are not talking about, you know, finding somebody with a joint of marijuana. Marijuana has been decriminalized for the longest time. We are talking about hard drugs. So if a police officer finds somebody who is shooting up heroin in an alley or on a street corner or who is ingesting methamphetamine or who is freebasing cocaine, as long as it is what we would describe a small amount, a personal use amount, they will not be arrested. They will be asked if they would like to go to drug treatment. <laughs> you can imagine how, oh, excuse me, you know, excuse me, excuse me, I, I see you're freebasing that, that coke there. Would, would, would you like to go to drug treatment? But if they say no, they will be left alone. They'll be offered treatment But if they choose not to take it, we're not going to bother them. And the idea behind this is, well, all right, a drug addiction is a disease. It's like heart disease. It's like diabetes. And we don't put people in prison for diabetes. So we won't prosecute people for, again, hard drug use. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the way to deal with America's drug problem? By essentially looking the other way when you have people not smoking marijuana, but we're, we're talking about any hard drug that you can imagine. Simply, we're going to let them do it. And if they do it on the public streets, that's okay. They do it in the public parks, that's okay. We'll offer them treatment if... They don't choose to take it. 
we walk away. And if we find them the next day and they're shooting heroin on the same park bench, we'll offer them treatment. But if they choose not to take it, we'll let them walk away. Is that the proper approach? It's not a drug war. They call it drug peace. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My initial comment on this is, thank God I don't live in Seattle. But what do you think? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. As I said, thank God I don't live in Seattle. I mean, here's the way the Washington Post describes it this morning. Two cops driving down the street. They're in a van. They see these two guys, broad daylight, sitting on a street corner in downtown Seattle, smoking crack cocaine. Okay. Oh, this is really attractive for the community. They stop. Do they arrest the guys for smoking crack cocaine? No. Apparently out of the van um, jumps this drug counselor who says, well, you know, would, would, would you like to get some help for your crack cocaine addiction? Both of them say, no, leave us alone. And they do. The cops leave. Cops leave. The drug counselor leaves. Now they say, well, well, maybe we'll be back because they're going to find them. I, you know, maybe the next day, if they haven't killed themselves from smoking crack, they'll be back there again. This is what Seattle does. They call it drug peace. No more drug war, drug peace. I think it is absolutely insane. 414-799-1620. It's not helping the people who are using drugs. And do you want to live in a community where it's essentially, hey, sit, inject heroin, you know, sitting on that park bench. Do you want to take your kids to a public park where you got a bunch of people that are sitting Sitting on the bench and shooting up heroin with impunity? Is that the kind of community you really want to live in? 414-799-1620. Lisa in Wind Lake. Lisa, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. Long-time listener. Love your show. Thank you. I have to agree with you. It's absolute insanity. So tell me why. Well, it's, it's, it's our obligation as just I mean, pe- people in general, it, it, that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess I, my other my other question about this as well is, what what do you think is going to happen if you? All right, if you've got the guy or the gal who's the heroin addict or the the meth head or whatever, how do you think it is that they are funding their habits? Most likely, it is through some form of criminal activity or otherwise. So, correct. So, so, so I, yeah. correct. I just see that making that situation much worse. Well, well, it it right. I mean, no, thanks to call. No, I, I I do is. I mean, I do as well because th- this whole idea. All right, we're we're going to let them go. We're going to offer. We're going to offer them help, but we're not going to lock them up. Not going to get them off the streets. And so, if they want to end up doing this, fine. We'll let them continue to do this. Well, okay. Where where is the money going to come from if you've got you know a five hundred dollar a day or a thousand dollar a day heroin habit or even a two hundred dollar a day her- heroin habit? Where do you think you're going to get it? Well, okay. There's going to be a bit of panhandling and you can argue about whether or not that's good for like a downtown area but on on top of that there's there, there's going to be theft people are going to be stealing moreover i don't think you're doing people a favor by simply ignoring it now it's one thing to get them into a criminal justice system and and offer them help all right fine but the problem is a lot of people just decide that they are not going to take advantage of it i would argue that it's the threat of incarceration the threat of criminal penalties that might actually help some people straighten up 
Certainly not all. Not arguing that. But doing nothing to me just just seems to be absolutely, totally, you know, one one hundred percent insane because you're you're not you're not going to solve the problem. You're going to make it worse. Plus, from the perspective of the people who live in this area or who have businesses in the area, I mean, really, do you want do you want your community? You know, if you're you're, you're the business guy and you're you're running the sandwich shop or whatever that's on one of these streets. Do you want the community, that street, to essentially be, okay, this is the place where all the drug addicts are going to hang out with immunity, impunity? Because my guess is pretty soon all the people who aren't drug addicts aren't going to be coming there. Tim in Kenosha. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, I Tim. just called in because I was listening, a long-time listener, I'm calling because from a law enforcement perspective, I, I think you, um, and I know in Wisconsin that if you come across somebody that's impaired, you have uh, responsibility, it's called a community caretaker role, mm-hmm. to make sure that they get home safely, that they're not going to um, use again, you know, as far as drink too much, making sure that somebody's going to take care of them. But the way you presented it, at least uh, that what I heard of, is that the officers just walk away from that. Yeah. How are they not responsible for the person is using, you know, later on that day or the next day because you didn't get them the help they needed? Yeah, no, and, and that that's that's exactly it. You offer the, I mean, the philosophy is you offer them help. Hey, you know, we, we've got this treatment facility. Can we help you? Most people are going to say no, though, you know, at that point in time. And then you're right. You, you walk, you're, no, right, they are not taken into custody. They are left out on the streets. And, and yeah, you're... That's a very good question. What happens? What happens to three the authors? Liability wise. Yeah. What happens three or four hours later when the person you know overdoses or something like that, or decides that they're they're going to mug some woman or worse, you know, because they they need the money? I again, that that's why to me this is such a disastrous policy. And and I understand we want to get people treatment. We don't want to lock up people who are addicted if we can help it, but. Don't you have to arrest them and get them off the street when you see them committing illegal acts? At least detain them. I don't necessarily arrest, but I mean, you could detain them and then say, "Okay, but I, I don't, I don't feel comfortable. I don't think anybody feels comfortable because uh, there's a situation in north of Austin Green Bay where officers found somebody that was impaired and sent them on their way, and then they were falling in the snowbank, and they're like, yep. okay." Yeah. Well, guess what? You're responsible because you had contact, and you didn't make sure that they were um, right. taken care of. No, no thanks. And that's no, what th- happens with drug users and people that use alcohol as well. Well, exactly. No, thanks. I mean, you know, you're not doing people a favor. Okay, here's a text. Jeff, I saw this in Seattle when I was there recently. I was in the park by the Pike Place, Pike Place Fish Market. That's the place whenever you see Seattle that it's the people throw in the large fish. Okay, I was... I was in the park by the Pike Place Fish Market. Fire truck drives up. EMT walks over to a girl, obviously overdosing, treats her, walks back to the truck, and drives away. I mean, I, you know, how are you? How are you helping anybody? You know, down. You know, in that type of area. And if somebody says, "Who will be held responsible if they murder or rape someone?" Is the city going to pay them? And the, the answer is no. I mean, see this. 
this is but this is the way we're approaching things nowadays. It's like in San Francisco, and I wouldn't you couldn't pay me to live in San Francisco. They're about to become the first city in the country to embrace the safe injection sites. I have a whole topic worked up about that that maybe we'll talk about. But but the idea where you can go and you can shoot up in front of medical professionals, and there's going to be no questions asked. They'll offer you treatment, but you can go into these safe injection sites, and they'll give you clean needles, and they'll you know they'll have nurses there, so you can you can shoot yourself up with anything, and there's not going to be any consequences. I mean, really, has it really come to that? I think it's crazy. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Boozy Badass, B-A-D-A-Z-Z. A rap, quote-unquote, star. Obviously, Eric Bilstadt's favorite rapper. Yeah, you know me. Yeah, uh, Boozy Badass, formerly Little Boozy. He says that American Airlines are a bunch of racist, well, I, I I can't read most of the things he says on the radio. And I was actually going to link this on my, my Twitter thing, but I just, I, I didn't think I could even link it on the Twitter thing. Um, here, here's how he starts his rant. American Airlines are racist, ignorant, bitch, then a word I can't say. Then a homophobic word I can't say. Then another word I can't say. Then another word I can't say. I hope you bitches and all planes crash. Okay, so this is what he's saying. I want them all to crash. Now, this is he's just warming up because then he goes on this lengthy rap rant talking about how American Airlines, again, they're just they're racists for the way that he was treated and how appalling this is. Now, this guy, this this. Boozy Badass is a um, he's a rapper from Louisiana. His real name is Torrance Hatch Jr. And he's been in and out of prison on various occasions and stuff. But he's out of prison right now trying to jumpstart his career. Here is what happens. He says American Airlines are racist. He's never flying them again. And you and I shouldn't as well. I think the proper response to American Air by American Airlines is uh, see you later. OK, so here's the deal. So Boozy is with his kids. He's on a flight from uh, Jackson, Mississippi to Grand Rapids, Michigan, connecting in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, so you've got this connecting flight. What happens is the flight into Charlotte from Jackson is delayed. So the connecting flight, well, it's going to leave soon. So here's the deal. According to the airline's records, the flight that he's on from Jackson to Charlotte, you know, gets in late. He heads to his connecting flight. He gets to the gate at 2.36 p.m. The plane is still at the gate, but they've closed the door and they've begun to pull back. The plane was scheduled to leave at 2.44 p.m. He gets there at 2.36 American Airlines, their protocol is that you have to be at the gate no later than 10 minutes before the departure because, you know, all these airlines are obsessed with their on-time things, and they push away from the gate, and the plane actually left at 2.41. So long story short, he's rushing to make this flight. He gets there a couple minutes after 
They've made the last call for passengers. They've closed the door, and they've started to pull back. All right? He's only missed it by a couple minutes, but he's missed it. So he says, I'm supposed to be on this flight. They say, we're sorry. You know, it's, it's, it's pulled back. You know, you can't get on this. What they do is they say, what we're going to do, misconnection, we're sorry, we're going to rebook you on the, the next next flight we've got, which is what they say is their standard procedure. So that is what they do. Well, Boozy doesn't like that. Boozy thinks that this was a racist plot by American Airlines to stop him and his family from getting on this plane. American Airlines says, no, I mean, he, he got there. He got there after we had closed the doors. He got there, you know, less than 10 minutes before the flight was scheduled to leave, and so we left without him. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is this an example of racism on the part of American Airlines directed at this rapper, or is this just what happens from time to time when you're flying on planes. And I guess I, I throw this open because my guess is that maybe you have been in a situation like this. Hasn't happened to me for a while, but this is one of the reasons why I always I try to fly direct. And if I'm not flying direct, I always try to make sure that there's a, a decent amount of time when you're going through airports for connecting flights. Because, yes, in another life, a number of years ago, I had this happen to me. I was catching a flight, Milwaukee to Minneapolis and Minneapolis somewhere out west. The flight got in late. It had been delayed by weather and such. I ran like a bat out of you-know-where to try to get to the connecting flight, but I got to the connecting flight. The flight was still on the ground, but it was in the process of getting ready to pull away. They had closed the doors. They weren't going to let me on. All right. Now, I mean, I, I'm a white guy lawyer at the time. You know, I'm not I'm not a rapper, but they, they pulled away and I'm saying, well, the plane's still there. Just let me on. I said, no, they said this is the rules. The regulations are once we close those doors, we're going to close the door. We're sorry, Mr. Wagner. We're going to put you on the next flight we can. Now, I wasn't happy about it, but it's the way they handle it. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this guy has gone off on this obscene rant accusing American Airlines of racism and saying that he hopes um, all their planes crash. All right. Is this a reasonable reaction? I, I, I don't mean to really mock this. I mean, obviously, this is an over-the-top reaction. But, I mean, does this strike you as racism, or is this just how airlines operate? I will tell you, you know, this is how air. I had this happen to me once a long time ago, and I didn't think it was racism. I was mad at the airline because you know, the flight was delayed. But I don't know. I lump it into the category of Wagner's rule of life number one. Life is tough. Get a helmet. Roger in Sussex. Roger, you're on WTMJ. Hey, i just like to say that uh, I don't know why racism is always the thing that's being thrown around when he was the one that was at fault for not being there before time, which anybody and everybody that has flown or not flown know that you need to be there early, and especially in this day and age with terrorism and checking in. Well, and in his defense, I mean, he was on a connecting flight on American, so they were late getting in. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know that it was his, it was his fault necessarily. But the other plane was leaving. It, you know, it, it was full of passengers. They were pushing back. What are they supposed to do? Right, and again, just because somebody has to wait, they have to throw out this stamp of racism or this, that, or the other thing, and it's somebody else's fault always. Well. 
perhaps it was, but they should blame the flight, right? Right, right. Jeff? Right, well, right. Blame the one that was incoming that he was on. Well, right. Or, or just roll good. with it. Yeah, Roger. Thanks. Or, or just, or just roll with it. The, there are there are inconveniences that occur in life. All right. One of the things is if if decades ago there was some sort of cachet about air travel, that's gone nowadays. I mean, look, planes are overcrowded. It's tough to get through airports. Sometimes stuff happens. But, you know, one of the rules that airlines have, as long as I've been flying, is that, you know, there, there is a point, you know, they're, they're very strict to the extent that, that they want to get off on their scheduled departure things. And that's why, you know, they, they do these paging things and they say, okay, we're, we're pushing back at a particular time. And if you're not there, the plane is going to leave without you. Now, in this particular case, it wasn't his fault. The, the incoming, the connecting flight was too late. That is unfortunate. If American Airlines, maybe if there had been enough people, you know they could they could have chosen to hold the flight, etc. But that's not how it worked out. They apologized to him for his inconvenience. They booked him on the next flight. I mean, really, th- this is what you're going to say? Gee, I-, I hope all your planes crash because all right, you, you didn't let me get on the flight. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Travis in Whitefish Bay. Travis, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, thanks for taking my call, yes, sir. Yeah, I. They, they don't have time for that, uh, the waiting to see who it is. They make decisions uh, on the fly, and they go with their policies. Uh, and, they, I mean, when, they, when you're talking about passengers in the airport and they don't know their exact location, they have to make a decision and stick with it usually. And, and, yeah. and it, this stuff used to drive me crazy about, you know, closing the door and, and, you know, if it were me when, when I was in charge of the aircraft, if I had known that there was someone waiting at the door and there was time to open it up and close it, yeah, personally, I would have opened the door. Uh, but they, you know, they, no, it, yeah. it's not racism. It's based on their policies and how the operation works that day. And the, and the policies written out, you know, they, they, right. they, when they have to abide by it, they have to abide by it. Well, well right. And, and because, okay, if, if they hold the plane, Okay, you know, once they close those doors and they start to pull back, I mean, that sets this whole chain of things in motion. And if, if the guy rolls up and then they have to go back and they have to open the doors again, that's going to delay them, you know, X amount of time. And who knows how long that's going to delay the plane. And maybe they could do it. Maybe they couldn't. But this is just one. It's one of the things that happens. They put him on the next plane they can find, for goodness sakes. You just roll with it. It's there, you know. You're, you're wishing all their planes crash because you got inconvenienced. Where, where does this attitude of entitlement come from? No, yeah, that's yeah. not uh, no. Right, yeah. no, right. Thanks for calling again. I, I mean, look, I appreciate that airline travel can be extremely frustrating, and sometimes you run into this rules or rules type of thing. And I, I, I get all that. I, I do, and I understand why the guy might be frustrated with this and why he might be angry at American Airlines. But really. Lisa in Genesee. Lisa, you're on WTMJ. I flew yesterday from Dallas to Milwaukee. I had a direct flight scheduled in the morning, and it was canceled. The entire plane had checked in. We were sitting there waiting. They canceled the flight. They said they'd get us on something later. I went up. I called in. I said, could I please get a different airline? Book me somewhere else. And then when they said they couldn't, I said, can you get me into Chicago? So they booked me on a flight out of Chicago that would get me into Chicago, in, or excuse me, booked me to Chicago that would get me in time for my husband to drive from here down to mm-hmm. Chicago, pick me up, and we could just 
get to our granddaughter's graduation last night on time. Right. It was delayed once. <laughs> it was delayed twice. We loaded at 3 o'clock. We sat for 30 more minutes on the tarmac yep. because they couldn't receive us in Chicago. We missed the graduation. Yeah. No compensation, no apologies. They didn't even have the decency to tell us when we arrived in Chicago what gate, what terminal and gate we were flying into so that all those people that were getting picked up could even have communication. Right. So you're not so happy with the airline. Today? Yeah. Not so much. Yeah. Do I, do I empathize for everyone else, the gentleman who missed all of his business meetings? I right. empathize completely and... You know, this, this, I don't even remember his name, um, Rapper, yeah. he has no business with the threat. Right. And, well, it's, it's just some, it's stuff happens. No. Yeah. No, thanks to call, Lisa. I mean, that, see, that's just the reality. Some, sometimes stuff happens. We were coming back from Florida last winter, and, and you might remember that the plane, our, our plane was like going to be four hours late in leaving because it got caught up. There was that deal where the, the TSI guy, TSA guy committed suicide in the hotel in Orlando, and that delayed all these flights. And, you know, it, it affected mine. Well, okay, you're, you're not happy about it because you've got arrangements, you're trying to get back, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's one of the things that happened. So um, I, I'm sorry that, that Boozy missed his connecting flight, but at the same time, you know, like I say, Wagner's rule of life number one, life is tough, get a helmet. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us, Gru, who's producing the show today and always. Do we have, uh, we, we need to find some duct tape. So this is kind of, you're looking at me blankly. No, I, I, this has been going on for the last couple of days. In front of all of us, uh, at, at the big chair, there's this little black box that displays the temperature, like it's 55. Well, the, it's, it keeps falling out of our, our view. And like Scafidi was talking about, it happened to me yesterday and all. And I was trying to figure out why it was falling, but I was just kind of like too lazy to look. Well, now I see it's balanced on these these two cans of breath mints. <laughs> We've got like two cans of breath mints that the temperature thing is balanced on. So maybe we can get some duct tape and we can tape it to the things of breath mints and, and we can see it. But it's uh, 55 degrees outside. No problem with that. Hey, let me give you an update on something we talked about last week. And it's something that actually Congress might be able to agree on. Mark the tape on that. One of, one of I think, a lot of our... One of the prob- many problems with the health insurance system is the, the surprise medical bills. You go, you've got health insurance. You go to the hospital to get a procedure done. You've checked it out. The hospital's in network, so you're going to pay your in-network rate. The doctor's in network. But it turns out that somebody somewhere involved in the procedure is out of network. So all of a sudden, afterwards, you get this surprise bill that's for several thousand dollars because one of the components, the doc, and, and this happens a lot. You, you go in for like a colonoscopy. The anesthesiologist, you don't know who the anesthesiologist is going to be. Well, it turns out that the anesthesiologist has, has privileges at the hospital but isn't in the hospital's network. So you're... 
you show up at the Aurora Hospital. It's an Aurora doctor. I'm just pulling this example out of the air. An Aurora doctor that performs the procedure. All right, so you get all the bills, and it's the in-network charge. But then turns out the anesthesiologist, who you never met until five minutes before they were going to knock you out, turns out he or she isn't in network, so you get a bill for thousands of dollars because it's out of network. It's this surprise that you would not have been able to, you wouldn't have known about. And we talked about this last week, and lots of people called in and said, yeah, that that happened to us. There is legislation that is about ready to get introduced, which is called an in-network guarantee where hospitals would be required to ensure that all providers treating insured patients would be considered to be in-network. So that means that you would be protected from one of these examples of, again, the surprise medical bills. Does this solve all the problems with the healthcare system? No, it doesn't. But it goes a long way towards at least rewarding those of us who do our homework to avoid having a surprise medical bill, and then all of a sudden you do. This is bipartisan legislation that's being introduced in Congress. This is something, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, everybody should agree on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. It's the World Cup. It's not Little League. Get over yourselves. I am, of course, referring to the controversy involving the world of sports, the women's, uh, the World Cup, the FIFA Women's World Cup um, started this week. The World Cup in the world of soccer, football to the rest of the world, is a very, very big deal. It comes around every few years. The United States women's team is a big deal in and of itself. I I believe that they're one of the favorites, if not the favorite, to win the, the championship. So, okay, they have their opening game yesterday against Thailand. All right, Thailand... I don't know if it's fair to say that they're no good, but they're nowhere near as good as the USA. The USA wins the game 13-0. See, I got the soccer language there. 13-0, but they they would say 13-0. They crush Thailand. 13-0 is about as bad a whooping as you can lay on a team in soccer. And they, they lay it on. In addition... I mean, they played hard, and they played hard for most of the tournament and for most of the game. They didn't let up, and they they celebrated. You know, in soccer, you know, people get a goal, and everybody dances around, and then they celebrate. Well, the the U.S. Women's World Cup soccer team, they they celebrated after they, they had goals. So this has not, at least in some circles, been received very well. Some people are saying it's unsportsmanlike. Uh, they ran up the score against these other women. They rubbed it in. They were kind of bullies by celebrating. My take on this is, again, it's it's the World Cup. It's not Little League. They don't have a mercy rule. If you want to put in a mercy rule, put in a mercy rule. It's also, it's the World Cup. It's not, it's not even a high school thing where, okay, maybe you could argue that, okay, if it's high school kids, maybe you approach this a little bit differently in mismatches. But this is the World Cup, right? A number of these women are, if not all of them, are professional soccer players. It matters. Goal differential matters. They're there to play tough at this level. I don't think you get to whine about it. All right, the Brewers, I was at that game against the Florida Marlins last week where they lost 
16 to nothing. All right, it was a god awful display of baseball. But they don't have they don't have a mercy rule in professional baseball. And I I didn't hear any of the Brewers players saying, "Gee, you know, when the Marlins hit those home runs to put them up 14 and 15 to nothing or whatever, that that they they shouldn't have celebrated, you know, the guy that hit the home run in the dugout." I didn't hear him saying that. I didn't hear anybody saying, "Gee, that's inning where they scored 11 runs. After they got nine, they should have just, you know, struck out or or whatever." No, they played hard. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This isn't grade school sports. It's not high school sports. This is the World Cup. And I guess I don't think I see I see nothing wrong with playing hard to the end. I see nothing wrong with running up a score of 13 to nothing. I see nothing wrong with celebrating the goals. Did the U.S. women's soccer team did they go too far? Was this unsportsmanlike? My answer would be no. 414-799-1620. Now, I understand that by doing what they did, karma can be a you-know-what. And I understand that maybe, you know, some people watching them and other teams watching them thought they kind of rubbed it in. And, you know, and, and the, that's the risk they run that, you know, maybe teams are going to be more motivated to play them in the future. But it doesn't mean that they were unsportsmanlike or it doesn't mean, at least to me, that they behaved improperly. Am I missing something? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we be criticizing the success of and the actions of this soccer team in their blowout win yesterday? My answer is no. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Welcome back. Peter in Wauwatosa. Hi, Peter. Hey, Jeff. Uh, loved, uh, loved the show here. Thank you. I mean, the, the soccer setup here is, the problem is that everybody nowadays has to get an award for something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, when uh, I, you're <laughs> around my age, I'm saying. So I'm thinking when we grew up, you won or you lost. Right. You know what? And you went out there and you did your best. This right. Of, well, they ran up the score. No, you know what? They're getting paid by their country. Our country players are getting paid. Right. You know? You go out there to do your job. Well, well, it's, you know, exactly. It's it's it, it's not literally. If and see, exactly. see, I'm with you. Yeah. If you want to put, if, if you want to put a mercy rule in, like they have in little league baseball or or whatever, I'm okay with that. So then, then what you say? Once you get ahead ten to nothing, that's fine. But but otherwise, you, I expect you to play hard, and that's. This is not. We're not talking about seven, seven or eight or ten year olds. You know, we're talking about, like you say, professional women, and they're out there to do their best as as hard as they and play as hard as they can. Right. But the problem, and the problem is, then how when somebody else plays that same country that we beat, Thailand, and if they beat them thirteen nothing or twelve nothing, right. you know, how do you differentiate your points? You know, like their totals. Right. For yeah, the, that, that goal differential. There is an incentive because if you're tied with some other team as far as wins or points, you're right. I mean, the, then they look at goal differential. So there's an right. incentive so to score as much you, as you can. Yeah. Right. So you would turn around and say, well, we, we could have scored a couple more and we didn't because we were trying to be nice. Right. No, I'm, uh, thanks. I see. I'm, I'm Peter. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I mean, the, look, it's again, this this is professional. 
where you can argue, and I'm I'm all in favor of mercy rules. As a matter of fact, we talked about a topic a couple weeks ago where there was one one school. It was oh in, in the Minnesota in the Minnesota College League, and there's one school that's larger than most of the other schools and has been dominating every school in the league, sometimes by big margins, for years, and they tossed the school out of the league. And some people thought that that was unfair. Well, I didn't. That was, I thought to me that that made sense. It was non-competitive. One, one of these larger schools was just too good because of the people they were able to recruit and the size of the school. They were too good for all the other schools, and so maybe they should be playing someone their own size. Okay, but that's, again, intercollegiate athletics. I didn't fault that school for, okay, if the football team could win 54 to nothing, well, then the football team wins 54 to nothing. It is perhaps a league problem. To me, the fundamental question is, if Thailand's that bad, why are they in this competition? I mean, that, to me, is the question. Cedric in Waukesha. Cedric, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, how Hi. you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think about this? I, I'm agreeing with Jeff. I agree with your last caller. It's uh, like I grew up, like I'm younger. I'm like 22, but uh-huh. I also grew up in the time of you always played your hardest. If you lost, you lost. Just pick yourself back up. Try right. harder next time. Try to get that win. If you're winning, don't stop. Continue going. It's right. a competition after all. And like I said, I agree with Jeff when you saying if a team's too good for that league, put them up to a higher league where they're back their own competition. Right. Or if the team's not good enough, bring them back down to a lower competition. I mean, in the MLB, you either go up to the MLB or you go back down to AAA. Right. Yeah. No, thanks, Nicole. You're right. You don't say. And again, it's it's the nature of the competition. If we were talking about ten year olds. I might have a different position on this, but but we're not. We're talking about professional athletes, and like I say, Wagner's rule of life number one. We've invoked it a couple times today. You know, life is tough. Get a helmet. So if you're playing, for, if you know you're on that Thailand team and you're not good enough to compete with the United States, well, okay, that that's tough. Now again, I I want to acknowledge. There is a risk with running up the score. You make yourself look like bullies. Maybe other teams aren't going to like you, etc. Maybe they'll be more motivated to try to knock you off. Maybe they will celebrate if they beat you. Okay, that, that's that's fine. That's all fair. Get mad. Get even. But, you know, don't fault these, these women for celebrating their goals and rewarding excellence. Bob in Wauwatosa. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, I'm about your age. But I have about 50 years of playing, coaching, and refing soccer. Quite frankly, I've achieved a significant degree of mediocrity in all of those. (laughs) But here's the point. They didn't taunt the other team. The other point is, in FIFA soccer, you're only allowed three substitutes during the match. Okay? Right. You can't go to that 24th person on the bench that, uh, you know, has never played before or put the person out of position. You just can't, and you never, ever, in, in in significant sports, tell someone not to try. Right, right. Yeah, maybe you can dial it back just a little bit. Maybe the formations you use, but but yeah, you're you're on there, and you're exactly right. It's it's not like like a high school football team where you're ahead 54 to nothing and you can pull the first team and you can pull the second team and you can put the guys like me at the end of the bench in. You know, you, you, you're you right. You can't do that. you got to go with the same players. So, no, thanks, Nicole. I, I, I guess 
this whole conversation, and I was watching this. I didn't watch the game, but I I was watching this play out last evening on uh, one of the ESPN shows or something like that. And it did. It was making my head scream when all these people were talking about, oh, this is unfair and this is this is so terrible and this is so unsportsmanlike. I'm going, no, I mean, this is this is sports. Like I said, there wasn't anybody wasn't anybody feeling sorry for the Milwaukee Brewers. Maybe you should feel sorry for us Brewers fans. But nobody was feeling sorry for the Milwaukee Brewers when they lost 16 to nothing the, the other night. It was just, OK, this is the nature of the game. This the Marlins were a lot better team than the Brewers were that night. You just put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants and you come back and play harder the next day. But I, I if if you want to put mercy rules into any of these sports, fine, put mercy rules in. Otherwise, I don't think that you should be whining on a professional level when, you know, people have, you know, when it turns out to be massive mismatches. If anything, to me, you don't fault the U.S. women. Maybe you fault FIFA for saying, how did a team like Thailand that is so clearly overmatched, how did they get to this competition in the first place? That, perhaps, is the more interesting question. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. 53 degrees outside. All right. For years and years in the state of Wisconsin, it was a state law that municipalities could not tow cars for unpaid parking tickets. So what would happen is you could park your car. There, there's other reasons you could the cars could be towed, but merely having like unpaid parking tickets couldn't tow the car. So what would happen is you would see certain cars that would like, for example, park illegally and they'd get ticket and get tickets, they'd get tickets, they'd get tickets. The registration of the vehicle might be suspended, but it, it wouldn't make any difference. The car still would not would not be towed. It would sit there. The legislature changed this a, a little while back. And municipalities have started enacting ordinances which allow them to tow vehicles with um, unpaid parking tickets. And the way the ordinances generally work is if you've got unpaid parking tickets, your car gets towed. You can't get it back until you pay all the overdue parking tickets and you also have to pay the the, the costs that are associated with towing which are, are, are large no no question about it in Waukesha they have a citation let me see I want to make sure I get this right in Waukesha I believe the citation is that uh, if you have five unpaid parking tickets there is an ordinance which now says that um, your your vehicle, may be towed the next time it is found in the city. So what they do is, after you get five tickets, they send you a note saying, hey, you've now hit this magic number, and if we find your vehicle parked in the city, it may be towed. And by the way, I don't think it has to be illegally parked in the city. Um, so then, you know, you so you're on notice that you better pay those tickets. In the city of Milwaukee, I think it kicks in, um, vehicles with three or more unpaid parking citations greater than 30 days old that are illegally parked may be subject to towing. So it's a little bit different in Waukesha, at least the way I understand it. It's five unpaid tickets. 
And then once, if you're parked anywhere on the street, boom, you, your car could be towed. In Milwaukee, it's three or more unpaid parking citations that are more than 30 days old. And then you also have to be illegally parked as well. But you're subject to towing. Now, I bring this up because there are some people. There's a big story in the L.A. Times. Um, Los Angeles is looking at an ordinance like this, and some people are just outraged about how this is going to be. It's devastating, financially ruinous to people. You you shouldn't do this. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you don't pay the ticket, I have no problem at all with the authorities booting your car and hauling it off. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess when it comes to areas involving driving, I am so incredibly frustrated by our, our inability to deal with these types of things, whether it's people driving continually without a license and speeding and amassing all sorts of tickets and getting their licenses revoked and not caring and then continuing to drive. And unless you blow through a red light and hit and kill somebody, pretty much nothing's going to happen to you. I mean, treating the traffic laws like they're jokes is a frustration to me. And again, treating parking tickets, these things that for most of us, you get a parking ticket, nobody likes to do it, but you you make it right. You either pay the ticket, or if you don't have enough money, you, you show up and you try to work out a payment plan, or if you think that you got a ticket unjustly, you go down to municipal court and you try to convince the judge of that fact. But there is a subset of people around here who just, I mean, they don't care. And the only way to get their attention, I think, is going to be to take their cars. There's a story from about a year ago or so that I'm I'm looking at. And at the time, the estimate was that Milwaukee had about $30 million in unpaid parking tickets. $30 million in unpaid parking tickets. You know, you can do a lot of things for the good of the city, even if you can only collect five or ten million of that thirty. Our number is four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Nobody is talking about parked towing a car um, for the first or second ticket, but after three tickets, after five tickets. I have no problem at all with authorities calling the tow truck company, hauling off the car, and then you want it back? Well, you got to work out a payment plan. you got to figure out how to pay for it. Is this, well, is this going to be financially ruinous? Is this anti, I don't know, poor person? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think there's nothing wrong with this at all. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. All right. Anything wrong with towing cars that have accumulated multiple parking tickets and the owners have done nothing to either pay them, work them off, or make other arrangements? My answer would be no. If you're going to be irresponsible, this is just one of those consequences. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We are back. Let's talk to Mark in Kenosha. Mark, good afternoon. Hey, hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking the call. You know, I'm 62 years old. The best of my memory, I've had one parking ticket in my life for accidentally parking in a handicapped spot. 
Mm-hmm. And I felt so bad. I went and paid the fine. And people that are getting repeat tickets over and over and over again, I don't think you should not only just boot their car or pull it away. You should probably take away their driver's license. Isn't it a privilege to drive? And if you're just getting ticket after ticket, and mind you, if I understood what you said correctly, you said for people who aren't paying those tickets. A person wants to violate the law and then he pays the ticket. I don't care how many times well, I care, but that's one thing. But anyhow, there's my point, Jeff. Good enough. Well, thanks, Nicole. Well, right. Yeah, this is for unpaid parking tickets. I mean, right. It, it, this, this doesn't say, it, it, nobody is saying, to my knowledge, that, hey, if, if you get you get 10 parking tickets in a certain period of time, that, you know, we're going to tow your car on the 11th one. No, this is saying that you get the parking ticket you don't pay after a certain number, then your your car is going to be towed, and you got to pay the tickets, and you got to pay the towing fee to get it back. Now the ordinances are different. Like I say, in, in Waukesha, it, it's five tickets, five unpaid parking tickets. They send you a letter, and they say, "Hey, next time we see your car parked on the public street, boom, it, it's going to be gone. So pay your tickets." In Milwaukee, I don't know what the notice provisions are. In Milwaukee, the way I understand the ordinance, it's three tickets more than 30 days old and then illegally parked again. You know, they, they're going to tow your car. 414-799-1620. Brian on the Upper East Side. Hi, Brian. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Say, I got two things. One, I've lived in Milwaukee about six, seven years. I've had two parking tickets. Right. Both instances. The ticket was never on my vehicle. I only found out about them after receiving late notices in the mail. And second, after receiving the late notices in the mail, I've tried dozens of times to pay via their phone number that they give automated phone service. Right. Both time or all all twelve times I've tried to do it, been disconnected by their phone system. <laughs> I, and, and I and I mean so, I'm trying to pay the tickets. So you're so you're, you're not a scoff law. You're trying to give them their money, and the city of Milwaukee is making it impossible for you to do that. Exactly. I mean, the last thing I want to do is be pulled over for a taillight out or not right lane for a turn, and then I got these unpaid parking tickets that I've. You know, feverently tried to pay, yeah. but their system has has failed. Well, I think now, now thanks to call Brian. That, that's another issue. That that is a that is a fair criticism. And, and obviously, if if you're going to start taking people's cars or whatever, you you have to you know you have to make it easy for the people who want to pay on those type of things. And and I'm sure. And look, I, I I'm not trying to minimize this. I'm I'm sure that this is going to be a problem from time to time, and there might be that person that gets caught up in this unfairly. All right, and I, and I don't dispute that, but that's not going to be the majority of cases. I mean, the majority of situations are going to be ones where it, it, it's exactly that: it's the people that get the tickets and then just blow them off. They know they've got multiple tickets. It, it's not like, gee, I, I you know, one, I, I missed this one or that one. Because like you say, you do get notices of those. I mean, at least there's a notice sent to your address saying, hey, you know, you've got this outstanding parking ticket. And by the way, your registration is going to be suspended if you don't pay for it. So I, I understand that there might be a devil in the details from time to time. And, and there might be that one person who, gee, somebody took the two parking tickets, three parking tickets off my car, and I never got notified that I had these. And so there may be a problem. But that's that's not going to be the general case. The general case is that you have people who have made a conscious effort because they just don't give a rat's rump and, and they don't care. Now, you might say to me, well, Jeff, 
you, you don't understand because, you know, a number of the people in the city of Milwaukee who get these parking tickets, they, they, they might be low income. And so having to pay the parking tickets is a burden. And so as a result of, of that, you know, it's unfair to, like, tow their cars. Well, I guess I, I would have two points to that. Point number one is, first of all, just because your 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 financial circumstances doesn't give you an excuse to ignore the law, right? So if if you're worried about, gee, I, I don't, I, it's going to cause me a financial hardship to, you know, if I get traffic tickets. Well, maybe my comment would be, okay, well, don't park in areas where you're going to get traffic tickets. Okay, that, that's number one. Number two, that this doesn't happen with people who make efforts to try to work out payment plans. Look, the la- let me just tell you this. The municipal court in Milwaukee, the last thing these judges want to do is is suspend people's driver's licenses. My goodness, they've got all these aggressive programs that are out there to reinstate people's driver's licenses who have been suspended. And I, I, I question the validity of some of those programs. But But you have to make an effort. So it's one of those deals where, let's say you've got, if you, for example, if you get a bunch of parking tickets, right, if you show up in municipal court, right, the, the judges, they're going to work with you. Now, it's kind of like um, every year when um, when spring rolls around, you know, we energies, there's a moratorium on shutting off people's, you know, utilities during the winter. And so what happens is a lot of people just make this conscious effort not to pay you know, the utility bills during the during the winter, and then they see what happens, you know, come summertime. Well, it's the same sort of thing. We Energies, you work with We Energies, and they're not going to shut off your utilities. I mean, because they want to collect their money. That's what they want to do. They want to get you to pay. They'll put you on payment plans, et cetera, et cetera. The same thing is true as a general rule in the city of Milwaukee with these municipal judges. you got parking tickets. You show up. They're going to bend over backwards to try to work things out with you. So the people, at least the vast majority of the people who I think are going to end up getting their cars towed are going to be people who – you know, just just don't care. I mean, by that I mean don't care enough to pay the parking ticket or don't care enough to show up in municipal court and try to make some arrangements on these parking tickets. So bottom line is I just I, I have no sympathy. And when you hear some of these numbers, I mean, seriously, you know, $30 million, and that's from about a year ago, in unpaid parking tickets for the city of Milwaukee. $30 million. That's just a ton of money. And if you don't try to aggressively collect that, well, what does it say about all the rest of us who, when we get parking tickets, I haven't had a parking ticket in ages, but, you know, I did from time to time when I worked in the city. Um, what does it say about the rest of us who pay our parking tickets promptly? I mean, are we the ones that are chumps because we're doing the right thing? Look, bottom line is, you know, don't do the crime. If you can't do the time, don't do the crime. And if you can't pay the illegal parking tickets, the, the tickets for illegal parking, then don't amass a bunch of tickets for illegal parking. Period. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, having one of our texts here, Jeff, 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 Jeff. On another show, weren't you criticizing Milwaukee Mayor Barrett for giving parking tickets? Well, yes, 
But we are talking about apples and oranges, dear texter. Now, one of the things, matter of fact, I've been, you know, in the couple decades I've been on the air, I have been very critical of the overly aggressive use of parking checkers to try to generate revenue. You know, we've had those stories where you've got massive rainfall and you've got, you know, people in life-threatening situations and you've got the parking checkers that are going out and, and they're writing tickets because some people, and they're giving tickets to people who aren't able to get to their cars and things like that. Or we've had the stories about the parking checkers who kind of do the, the chicken hawk thing where they hang out, all right, uh, around the area and they say, okay, it's an hour parking meter and I see that it's going to expire in a minute or two and I see somebody running there, but once it hits zero, I'm going to write the ticket. Yeah, I think that that's bad public policy and I do not think it should be that aggressive. That, however, has nothing to do whether, you know, you've had an overly aggressive parking checker. That has nothing to do at all with the idea that people who have gotten ticket after ticket after ticket should be able to just ignore paying those tickets with impunity. It's two completely and totally different things. And, yes, do I think that they should not be as hung up on revenue as they apparently are with the use of, like, the parking tickets? Absolutely. But does that mean that you should be able to just collect parking tickets like their baseball cards and not face any consequences? Oh, no. All right. Uh, speaking of consequences, and I, I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. Uh, the, these lame duck laws that were passed after the last election in Wisconsin, you had the legislature that came back. They passed a series of, of laws. The outgoing governor, Scott Walker, signed them into law. Um, they were in like an extraordinary session. And then you had some of the Democrats were upset about this. They went to Dane County Circuit Court, and this is what always happens. They found a sympathetic Dane County Circuit judge to rule that this procedure that the Republicans had used was somehow unconstitutional. Now, by the way, the problem with this ruling from the Dane County Circuit judge was that you've had legislators, legislatures over the last 30 or 40 years, which had used exactly the same procedure, and nobody, Republican or Democrat, had any problem with it. And if all of a sudden this thing that had been routine for the last several decades was now determined to be unconstitutional, you would really have a mess in this state because you would have 30 or 40 years worth of laws, which would now, we would presume, were, were invalid. In any event, as I predicted at the time, Apart from whether or not this was good public policy to use this lame duck session to pass various laws, apart from that, there was no question in my mind that the legislature had the authority to do it. And here yesterday you had another example of a Dane County Circuit Court judge, again, not getting the law, and the Supreme Court yesterday essentially reinstated most of the quote-unquote lame duck laws that Republican lawmakers uh, approved. There was supposed to be a trial on this that would be going on in Madison on Wednesday. Court canceled that. They reinstated almost all of the laws. And I will tell you, it is very, very clear that those laws are going to be upheld. And public policy aside, was it a good idea to do it, is a different question than did the legislature have the authority to do it I think the answer is pretty clear and has always been clear that the legislature had the authority to do it, despite the fact that, again, you had some liberals 
uh, on the Dane County Circuit Court bench who were eager to stick it to Governor Walker and the Republicans in the legislature. Supreme Court um, reverses that decision. It's the right decision, again, apart from public policy, and it assures that like 40 years of law aren't going to be thrown into complete chaos. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. How far do we go? Should we say, should we say warning? If you walk outside when it's raining, you will get wet. Should we say, huh, warning, it's nighttime outside, put on lights. I ask this because we live in a world nowadays where people are obsessed with with different types of warning labels. And one of those warnings now involves Well, it's the latest boogeyman that some people are going after, and that is soda. We have warnings on all sorts of things. We have warnings on cigarette packages. You know, smoking cigarettes can cause all sorts of problems. We have warning labels that we put on alcohol nowadays saying uh, pregnant women should not ingest alcoholic products, things like that, because it can lead to all these problems. The latest battle has come in the area of soda. And as often happens, it's being fought out in California. The state of California is in the process of passing a law which would require any any 12-ounce can or bottle of soda or larger. But it would start with 12-ounce cans of bottles or soda. Any 12-ounce can of, of any 12-ounce beverage that had added sugar and with 75 calories or more, which is pretty much any sort of sugary drink, would have to have this big warning label on it. The warning says, State of Cal, and this is all in big capital letters, State of California Safety Warning. Drinking beverages with added sugar contributes to obesity, diabetes, and tooth decay. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We have warnings. We've had warnings on cigarettes since 1965. We've had, you know, warnings on alcohol, you know, more recently than that. But you've got these warning labels. We have warning labels on various packages saying, all right, you know, if you have to install this with a blowtorch, be careful because you can set stuff on fire. Do we need to put big warning labels on any sort of sugary beverage warning people that if you drink that sugary beverage, um, you could be contributing to obesity, diabetes, and tooth decay? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My question to you would be, first of all, do, do we need to do that? Have we really gotten to the point where we have to warn people about this? And then if the answer is yes, why why are we stopping with with sugary soda? Why are we worrying about just Mountain Dew and Pepsi and you know Coca-Cola? Why if if we've decided that, that sugar is bad and too much sugar is going to contribute to obesity, diabetes, and tooth decay, all of which I understand are are reasonable health concerns. 
But if that's the case, why would we limit the warnings to simply sugary drinks? Why don't we put warnings on ice cream? Why don't we put warnings on on pies? Why don't we put warnings on cakes? Why don't we put them on packages of donuts? I mean, if if this is where we are in our society nowadays, that we have to warn people that, hey, drinking Coca-Cola, you know, um, there's sugar in that Coke. Um, you, you need to have the warning. What, what, why do we just stop with the sugary soda? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we need big warning labels for this? Or is this just essentially common sense? 414-799-1620. And will warning labels make any difference anyways? Gru is lining up the calls. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. California is considering a state law that would require pretty much on, on any any can or bottle of a beverage that has added sugar and has more than 75 calories, which is pretty much any any sweetened sort of beverage at all, this big warning label. Capital letter, State of California Safety Warning, Drinking Beverages with Added Sugars Contributes to Obesity, Diabetes, and Tooth Decay. Let's start with Michael in Milwaukee. Michael, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Well, I've been a dentist in the Milwaukee area for almost 40 years now, and I'd love to see something like that. You can't believe how many parents have been in my practice, with, especially talking about their children and why they're getting cavities, and they have no clue as to what the sugar in these in sodas and juices are also a big culprit, what they're doing to um, promote tooth decay. So I'd love to see it. I don't think we have to go to the ends of the earth to go and to put it on the label, but if it's something, just put a stamp on there and get it on there again. Well, I mean, I, see, see and I guess I have nothing to do wrong with education, but I will tell you, Michael, one of one of the big concerns that my dentist always talks to me about is 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 diet soda, and you know, he'll he'll always tell me stories about how he'll see people that you know drink lots of diet soda and how that messes up their mouths as well. Not as much as the sugared soda. I agree. Diet sodas are coming under more and more attack, I think, from the health world now. But it's night and day difference between the sugar-free sodas and the sugared sodas. And, again, I put juices in that same category because a lot of parents say, oh, my child does not drink any soda. And you find out they're Juicy Juice and Hawaiian Punch, and they're just... See, now, Michael, you have to understand, you're talking to a guy, my mom worked in dental offices her, her entire life. I was never, I was never allowed to chew gum because back in the day, you know, it was all this sugary gum. And, you know, mm-hmm. now, now, now you've got a lot of the, you know, the, the non-sugar gum and stuff like the sugar-free gum. But back in the day, it was almost all sugar gum. My mother would never allow me to put anything in my mouth that had all that sugar in it. So I'm kind of sympathetic to where you're coming from. You are. If everyone was like your mother, we wouldn't have the issue. But it is out there, and again, on a broader spectrum, it's the uh, diabetes and the uh, blood sugar control, and that is just—it's horrific. And so, again, I don't want to see moderation. Has always been, especially with the dental association, we all just push moderation. Right. But unfortunately, go to the store, watch how much soda and juices are being bought. And it's pretty clear that there's a lot of families that are just the kids don't have a chance. They right. just don't right. have and, a chance. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm I'm not here sort of endorsing. Hey, hey, go out and you know pound back all the, these things of Mountain Dew because it, it does have an effect. I, I mean, I, I don't deny that. I remember. Um, 
gosh, I, I remember as a kid, you know, Kool-Aid grew. Do they still have Kool-Aid? Okay. You know, like the, you'd, you'd buy the Kool-Aid that was unsweetened, and you pour it in the pitcher, and you put the water in, and then, you know, you put in like cup after cup after cup of sugar. And I, I remember even as a kid, I'm thinking, my God, that's a lot of sugar that, that's going into this. And and so I, I'm not here to be a poster child for, you know, that you know, overconsumption sugar, because it does have this. I question whether you need big government coming in and slapping this giant warning sign on, on every can of soda that's out there. Do we want to do our best to educate the public that, you know, hey, everything, like the doctor was saying, everything in moderation, I, I'm, I'm cool with that. I just don't know that we can warn our way out of various problems. And, again, I go back to the basic premise. If we're going to decide that sugar is now the, the, the enemy, okay, why, do we, why should we stop at, at, at Coke? Why should we stop at Pepsi? Why should we stop at Mountain Dew? Why should we stop at Snapple? Why should we stop at the various, you know, juices that are out there? Um, yeah, anybody who's dealing with diabetes too, what, no, diabetes too, that, that they'll tell you that's one of the first things a nutritionist say is stay away from, stay away from juices. You might think they're going to be healthy, but they're, they're pure sugar. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Chris and Racine. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello. How you doing, Jeff? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, well, I think common sense needs to prevail, like your last caller. I mean, parents need to be guided, put a nutrition label on there, but the kids, they don't get a vote. They're not 18. The parents need to police it. Mm-hmm. And adults, again, need to have common sense. And like you touched on before, with Big Brother, the government telling people what to do, there's got to be a line drawn in the sand. I mean, enough's enough. Well, I guess, I, I, I mean, I, I sincerely wonder how... How effective is this going to be? Is there going to be one kid after school who stops off at the at the quickie mart and and who isn't going to buy that bottle of Mountain Dew because it's got a warning t- sticker on it? I mean, I I just don't see it as being effective. I, I guess now to the extent you can say, well, maybe it might change some of the buying habits of the parents. Maybe, but do you need to put a warning sticker on every can or bottle of of anything that's sweetened? Right. I agree. I yeah. just, again, common sense needs to prevail and to have everything on the label or a warning for everything. You want to sit there and make a meal out of peanut butter cups? Fine. Go uh, ahead. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. Thanks. No, exactly. Thanks. And the thing I don't know is I don't know if these warning labels, I, I know these apply to like cans and bottles in grocery stores. I'm not positive as to whether or not this would apply to, um, For example, you go to McDonald's, you order, you know, you order the large Coke. And would that have to have a warning sticker as well on the Coke? If you drink this, understand that it's going to contribute to tooth decay and obesity and diabetes. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Patrick in Whitefish Bay. Hi, Patrick. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? So, you know, you read couple good points here. Um, I want to say that common sense should prevail and parents should know better and limit these sugary drinks, whether it's Gatorade or soda or Juice. Mountain Dew and between and limit them in moderation. Um, I remember the days of growing up where it was milk for dinner every night. Now it's not uncommon for my kids to go over to somebody else's home where they grab soda every night for dinner. So I think it can't hurt. Um, 
Do I think it's overkill? I do. Do I want to go into, uh, you know, Elegant Farmer and see a huge warning label on it saying, you know, this is going to give you juvenile diabetes? I probably don't, but the reality is look at the trends as to what's happening with obesity, what's happening with tooth decay, and what's happening with the general health of our kids. Do we, why, then why stop at the sodas? And, and, and by the way, I'm not disagreeing with you. I mean, I understand obesity is, is a huge factor. Should we have warnings on the candy bar? Should we have warnings on the in the bakery, on the pie, in the donuts, and all the uh, the ice cream? I mean, why stop at the sodas if, if we accept that premise that warning labels are going to work and we need to we need to get people to stop having more sugar? You know, I, I'm struggling with okay. saying yes, we should do that. At the same time, if it gets parents educated mm-hmm. to some extent i mean a lot of people don't know better you no. know i, well, I know people, juice is the classic example of that i mean i, I think yeah. i think most people most people realize okay there, there's sugar in the coca-cola maybe they don't recognize how much there is but I, I i think i think a lot of people oh well orange juice is is good for you or apple juice is good for you and, and yeah it it might be but it's also got a ton of sugar and stuff in it so as well so Okay, yeah, I, thanks. Very, for, I mean, very good point. No, thanks. No, I and I understand it. It's a it, it's a difficult sort of it, it's a difficult sort of issue. It becomes you know where where do you draw the line and is there a way is there a way that you can educate people on the nutritional value of things because we already have labels on nutritional value of stuff. I mean, if you look at, I mean, if if you look at. You know, you look at the the cans of Diet Coke now. It's got a nutrition label on, right? I, 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 should, I, I confess, I have a can of Diet Coke in my hands right now, despite the fact that my dentist says don't drink too much of it. And I really don't, but I mean, I'm looking at it now. I mean, it's got it's got a it's got a nutrition things there. It says you know total fat and sodium. I mean, total carbs. Do we need more? Then the nutrition label that's already on there. Jim in East Troy. Hi, Jim. You're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Good. What do you think about all this? Well, I hate government control. I, I would agree with that. They don't need to be telling us what we can and can't eat. But there are a lot of people out there that, you know, you open up a can of soda, you don't really think about sugar. It's yeah. not like a donut laying on the counter. Man, you look at that donut, wow, there's some sugar there. I, uh, I don't know. I mean, do you think people... Do you think people really? I don't know. Do you think people really think that 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 there's that? I know if I'm eating that piece of pie, it's not good for me. But I really don't know if I pound back that 32 ounce thing of Mountain Dew that that there's not going to be some health effect. Are people really that dumb? You know, you know, I bring in quite often because I live in East Troy, Elegant Farmer Pies. Sure. And there, there are people that look at that pie and go, "Oh my God, I can't eat that. There's so much sugar in it." Yeah. But but yet. They got a can of soap sitting there. <laughs> they've got they've got that thirty two ounce thing of Mountain Dew. Maybe I mean thanks for interesting conversation. And again, this is right now California appears poised to to do this. And the argument that people make, and I get it, is well, Jeff, would you argue that we don't put warning labels on on cigarettes? And and, and no, I, I I don't. Now I think you know certainly in nineteen sixty five people didn't. I don't think grasp the risk of, of cigarettes. You can you could argue that maybe in today's day and age, you know, everybody should know that cigarettes aren't good for you. But I don't have a problem with with the warning labels on on cigarettes, and I don't have a problem with the warning labels on alcohol. I just wonder where where it stops, and do you also risk? 
I don't know, the, the people just aren't going to pay attention to it after a while. Um, you do have nutrition facts, and I guess I would argue that maybe the thing to do is just direct people, look at the nutritional labels, and you'll see where the sugars are and stuff, and that should be enough. Society will decide. Got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.